Welcome to Views from Stadium Boulevard. I'm Harley Johnson. And I'm Hannah Harshi. And we're back for another week of your favorite Michigan sports podcast. And this week... So obviously sports haven't really happened since last week, but luckily for you guys, we still exist. And um, we actually have a conversation that I had with M. Earl Smith, who is my co-author on The Fab Five, The Scrapbook of a Revolution. So he and I talked a little bit about like The Fab Five and their legacy and why we are so drawn to them. So stick around to the end of this podcast for that. But right now we have some Hannah and some Harley for all of you guys. Aw, that's so fun and exciting. I love Hannah's and Harley's. <laughs> um, so some, I think when um, we were trying to come up with ideas to talk about, we're like, did anything happen that would be like newsworthy? And Michigan basketball, like within the like hour of our discussing this, said, "Here's some news for you." That's and actually I guess the so biggest true. One, well, there was like news and I was like wow this is big news but then there was another news story I was like wow this is bigger news than the previous news story okay so what was the one that was like the big news the big news before the even bigger news yes okay so the big news that dropped is that Austin Davis big country or custard whichever one you call him had right soldier soldier (laughs) soldier (laughs) shoulder surgery the like s's is like difficult for me apparently (laughs) you got it Harley I believe in you thank you (laughs) I guess I was like super excited to like talk today um it's been a minute right like I never talk anymore I don't yeah I don't think I speak anymore and especially like podcasting what's that yeah I I think this might be my only form of like social interaction (laughs) okay so um he's expected to well, he's already in the recovering phase, but might be expected to return to play in early October. I'm not really entirely sure, like, how college athletics is going to look like in October. So, but having him back and having him healthy will obviously be really crucial for our team. And I think it'll just help the incoming freshmen be, you know, have some, like, practice and contention and it'll be good I also didn't know that like elective surgery was still going on so like when the news broke I was kind of confused as to how he got surgery yeah I mean that's I am confused about that as well he does have an in as a Michigan basketball player I think if anyone's having an electric electric surgery I can't talk either (laughs) if anyone's having an elective (laughs) surgery I feel like Michigan (laughs) basketball would know the people you have to know in order to get that to happen but yeah, but yeah, hopefully he'll be fine by the beginning of the season. Um, and then Harley, what was the bigger news that eclipsed the big news of Austin Davis's surgery? It's funny that you say that because I've been watching Twilight the last few days. Ooh. Um, but <laughs> we are Franz off our Bog- rockers. <laughs> Franz Wagner has officially returned back to us for his sophomore season at the University of Michigan. And last week, we talked about how we were kind of concerned that if living with Mo during this quarantine had, like, any sway on, like, conversations about looking into the NBA or, I almost said NFL, by the way, because the NFL draft is today, but I remain true to myself. 
Um, and if that would have any lean on if Chris Franz played professionally, as we all know, so I don't know if he thought he was ready or should explore the NBA a little bit more, but I guess as big brothers do, Franz and Mo probably talked about it, and I guess at the end of the day, Franz had to make the decision for himself, but he decided to come back and play for us, and that just means good things for Michigan basketball for the 2020-2021 season. If we have it, or if we do, if they will play in, like, empty arenas, I don't know, but... It's honestly It was some good news, honestly, it's in the wonderful life. news. And it, <laughs> it, it um, it's honestly so important for this team because we could still potentially lose Isaiah Livers and Franz is like Franz was last year's Josh Christopher of constantly wondering like will we get him? Will we get him? It should be a game changer if we do get him. And we still have him. So I guess take all the sadness that you might still be feeling about Josh Christopher. I don't know if everyone's over that by now or people are still like crying about it. But if you still have that sadness, transfer it over to the fact that we do have Franz, who we wanted so badly, and now we have him again. And honestly, he, if he um, progresses, develops at all in this offseason, like, he could be a force to be reckoned with this upcoming year. That's so true. And also... I think, why would we want less time with a Wagner? You know, we're Michigan fans. No, no one wants so, less time with a Wagner. So, exactly. So, thank you, Franz, for staying, maybe for your own games, but also for our, our games as Michigan fans. Yeah, the Franz, the Franz, because, the Franz. Exactly. We should, uh, those, I, my Franz shirt isn't quarantining with me, but otherwise I maybe would wear it for nobody to see. I was like, mine is also in quarantine. I thought about wearing it, but then I was like, oh, wait, it's in quarantine. Yeah. So perhaps not. I've been wearing the same, like, four sweatshirts over and over again because I didn't pack anything to come home. I didn't think I was, like, moving home forever. I um am wearing, just a fun fact, like a little OOTD, I'm wearing a tie-dyed, like, I bleached tie-dyed a sweatsuit because I saw so many people on TikTok doing it. So that's what I'm wearing today. But were you the people that, like, dyed it with, like, toilet bowl bleach? Please tell me no. Well, toilet bowl bleach has, like, more stuff in it than just bleach. We use, like, just straight bleach that you, like, use as, put in your laundry if you need to bleach stuff. Okay, because on TikTok I see, like, people get the, like, toilet bowl cleaner. I see why and, you would do that, because it and, has the little spout, so it would, like, kind of... Yeah. But doesn't that have more in it than just bleach? It has, like disinfectant stuff well i don't know probably it's toilet bowl cleaner it always confused me and people in the comments are like um that's toilet bowl cleaner (laughs) and i was like that was my thought as well i i'm confused about like the different variations of bleach like if you bleach your hair if you bleach your laundry if you bleach the countertops but never mind that's not what this podcast is about um one more piece of basketball news um our personal icon duncan robinson had a birthday he's probably like 50 by now i don't like he keeps wow. getting older. <laughs> that's rude no i just feel like every time i google his age he's like four years older than he was the last time when was the last time you googled his age i don't know but i, I think just... he's 25 if i could i could be wrong see it, it so just he's like a quarter of a century it just confuses me because 
he like he and I were in college for a lot of the same time like Mm -hmm. two years of the same time but it's because he did a fifth year of high school and he was already old for his age and then he did a or old for his grade and then he also did a fifth year of college so like it just throws me off because I get so confused thinking that like he and I are the same age but there have been a few other years that like get tacked on there to make him older than me and he's like older than me even though we both started at Michigan at the same time yeah, because he's old for his grade and had a fifth year of high school. It's very confusing. But apparently that's a thing out east to do like a year of like another year of high school. It's pretty common. That sounds awful. <laughs> yeah, it's like I think that's what prep school is. Like you do another year of high school to prep yourself for college. You, you know, when you hear about prep school, like prep school people, I yeah. never knew what that was. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. But if anyone listening to this is from New England and they're like, you're stupid, just let me know. I can take it. Wait, Hannah. Yeah. You're going to be in New England, so you can just, like, research this. Yeah. Well, no, I heard about this from someone who I met when I, like, visited Boston. Okay, so then you can get, like, a greater sample size when you're out there. Yeah, I'll just, make sure like, to report poll. back. Okay, <laughs> please do. Yeah. I'm sure we're all concerned, because all of us are confused out here. And none of us have access to a Google search. <laughs> No, we're going old school with old research methods and yeah. old science. But anyway, any thoughts about Duncan Robinson for his birthday? Um, happy birthday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's I it. echo that sentiment. <laughs> okay, so I guess we'll move into probably what we're all watching and preparing ourselves for tonight, which is the NFL draft. Um, mostly because I don't know, I don't know a lot of the coverage on it right now is talking about like how big this event could be. Mostly because there's absolutely no content out right now in terms of sports and athletics, and I think I, don't, I think there will be a lot of people tuning in, obviously, and I know we're all eagerly awaiting to see where um, college kids are going to be going to continue their football careers and I know a lot of Lions fans are sweating buckets and worried about messing up and I think that's all I really I mean that's a given yeah (laughs) yeah I'm also just really fascinated by the concept of a zoom draft and I just really can't wait to see how it goes there are just so many, like, all the tweets that have been going out from their mock draft earlier this week, how a lot of them couldn't figure out how to get the Wi-Fi to work, or one coach was, like, yelling at his kids to get off their iPads because there wasn't enough bandwidth for the draft. Like, there are going to be so many technical difficulties, and I'm so excited to see all of them. <laughs> or, like, it's apparently a, a bunch of the GMs didn't know how to mute their mics, so, like, there was all the feedback, like, going back and <sighs> forth. Do you remember the, like, first, like, Zoom blue jeans big blue button google hangout thing that you had and everyone came in and their uh, mics were on and it was just the worst sound and it just sounds it's like the equivalent of like nails on a chalkboard but like online oh definitely i was already like familiar with it because i've had a virtual internship before so i used zoom all the time but yeah and google hangouts but yeah it's awful when you're with a bunch of people who don't understand the concept of muting your mic. I think you just did it from the get-go so nobody could hear, like, me, like, eating food or something. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, at <laughs> any given time, if I'm in a Zoom call, I'm, like, eating spaghetti or, like, Tex-Mix or something. Yeah, something crunchy. Yeah. No one needs to hear that. 
sometimes I get so into my Chex Mix. Like, this happened the other day when I was in class. I was just, like, eating my Chex Mix and, like, staring at it and not even looking up at the camera. And then I was, like, because you forget people can see you, too. And I was, like, wow, I wonder if anyone's just watching me eating this Chex Mix so aggressively. I haven't been on the video camera in, like, a lecture in forever <laughs> oh you're lucky all mine are discussions so whenever i turn off my camera they're like hannah are you there <laughs> i'm so sorry okay so this I is guess an- it- oh oh no no, no. what okay. were you saying well i think we have to discuss a really really important topic because last year devin bush wore a bizarre outfit to the nfl draft and like first of all mm-hmm. i just need you guys to all remember that maybe google it just think like what was going on there um it was awesome though i respect it it was it was iconic but anyway it was memorable it was yeah it sure was memorable (laughs) i i want to know like are they gonna dress up like are any of them gonna have like at home red carpets are they gonna be just wearing sweatpants and chilling or like are they gonna like because i'm a lot of them get like custom made like designers design stuff for them to wear to the draft at least for the nba draft i don't know how common that is for the nfl draft so i just want to know how that's gonna pan out with a virtual draft well I think, like, for some players that don't actually go to the draft, like, I know Chase was at home, and I don't think he was sitting in sweatpants, so I feel like they'll still, like, dress up, because it's, like, a big night, a big occasion, mm. but, like, are you gonna get, like, what, like, suit and tie that you left in your house when you were in high school, or, like, like how all those, like, memes are saying, like, Hannah's shirts are all quarantined at her other house so she just has to wear what she brought or what was left at home from when you were in high school yeah but but they could online shop that's true that's but like a suit a custom suit that's true that would be hard i i guess i'm just so intrigued though unfamiliar with the process of how getting custom suits works (laughs) in the first place that i don't know how quarantining affects it me neither I'm pretty sure it still exists, but you might have to, like, send in, like, measurements and stuff. Mm, that's true. Well, that's a good startup opportunity if anybody's listening. Start an online mm. custom suit thing. Hmm. <laughs> Do you have any <laughs> predictions of what particular players will be wearing? Particular players will be wearing? Like Joe Burrow said, don't make fun of my hair. I don't have a haircut opportunity. <laughs> I think everyone doesn't have a haircut opportunity. I wonder if people will have, like, quarantine beards or, like, their mom will be like, shave your face. I hope their mom say shave your face. I wonder how many moms we see. Let's (laughs) Um, say that. We're going to see so many moms. Harley, Harley, Harley. Remember the um, Baker Mayfield draft vlog? Oh, God, yes. Like, I hope we get to see that from everyone. Like a DPJ one. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be so cute. Um, we if have. To, oh, go ahead. I said if DPJ goes somewhere. Right. Um. Aww. Our discussion. Okay, so I have two discussion questions that we determined as we were okay. outlining this podcast. The first one is what if Shay, and the second one is what of Shay. Thoughts. Okay, so what of Shay kind of arose from, like, what, I don't know, what of Shay? Like, what is he up to? <laughs> Will he be there? Will he have, like, 
a camera vlog crew ready to go. Where is he lying right now on discussion boards about quarterbacks in the draft? Because I know everyone's looking at the flashy ones, like the one out of Washington, the one out of Oregon. I mean, there are a lot of quarterbacks in this class, and Shea is not one that people talk about. I know. Will he go anywhere? Will he be like a Tom Brady-esque and go low, but maybe not have a Tom Brady career? Who is to say? What <laughs> so basically getting drafted in a late round is what you mean by being a Tom Brady. <laughs> a Tom yes. Brady without a Tom Brady career. Yes. Yeah. What's your you what's your scouting report of Shea Patterson? Like if a GM called you and was like, I forgot to look anything up about Shea Patterson. What's he like? <laughs> what would you tell him? I'd be like, he needs to pee the bee better. And by pee the bee, what do you mean? Protect the ball. <laughs> okay, I think that one needed some clarification. <laughs> yeah, he needs to pee to pee the bee better. Um, largely underwhelming, say? but mostly because Michigan fans are just willing to get our hopes up at anything. And when we saw that we had a transfer QB coming in, we thought that everything in the world was going to come together. But now, now I think we're jaded enough to know that no matter how talented our quarterback is, uh, things will still never go our way. But at the time, we were young and innocent, and we thought, oh my gosh, we're getting a transfer from Ole Miss. Life is good. We're going to have... Our rebuilding years are over, and this is Harbaugh's year to win. Oh, that was really dumb of us. Yeah. (laughs) Do you remember thinking that, though? Yeah. Yeah. If he has, like, a random, like, disease or, like, injury and they don't tell you about, and he plays really bad, it's probably because of that. Oh, that's true. I mean, he'll, like play really well against like Notre Dame and like MSU and like yeah that's true his whole performance was kind of (laughs) clouded by like random injuries that they never admitted to us until after they healed yeah they would be like no he's not injured and he'd play really poorly and then he would have a really good game and be like why is he having a really good game like oh he just recovered from his injury so I don't know there's so much mystery surrounding Michigan football (laughs) that I have no idea the level of talent maybe that's why I was like what of Shay there's just too much mystery (laughs) there's so much mystery I don't know. I would love for someone to take a chance on him and prove that he's, like, actually really good. Because I, I feel like he definitely has more in him than what we saw. Uh, I, mean, oh. I guess that spawned the, like, what if. What if, like, What Shay? if he gets, like, what if he gets drafted? <laughs> like, yeah, what if he gets drafted? What if he's actually kind of good? Um, what if he has a quarantine mustache? Oh, God. I can't picture him. I'm sorry, his face does not register with my brain. <laughs> like, I would, we've talked about this before, I would not recognize him walking down the street. Something about his face just, like, does not, like, my brain doesn't pick it up. So, what So, yeah, what if Shay, what if Shay? <laughs> I mean, pretty much covered it. <laughs> this is the most in-depth um, NFL draft podcast you'll ever find out there. Really quickly, I'm just going to list off the Michigan Wolverines that are entering the NFL draft just so we can think if we have any last oh just so we can think if we have any last thoughts and also just so you can know who to watch for maybe if you're listening you're like oh I forgot about that guy let me think about him so we have Josh Metellus Michael and Wainu Sean McEwen Ben Bredesen Cleek Hudson Lavert Hill Cesar Ruiz Shea Patterson Mike Dana Josh Uche Gordon Glasgow John Runyon 
Donovan Peoples-Jones. So, honestly, a lot of those guys, I'm like, oh, man, this sucks for Michigan. We're losing a lot of these guys. Good job, Han. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't really know where, like, any of them are going to fall, obviously, because draft boarding stuff is not my cup of tea. Um... But I know there's a lot of talk surrounding Cesar Ruiz um, and his athleticism and his ability at the um, center position. So I know that a lot of teams will be interested in him, which is awesome for our program. But it also made me think about, like, oh, dang, we had him and now he's gone. I don't know what we're going to do because I'm pretty sure the other one transferred away. So (laughs) Um, I don't know. It made me, like, question a lot of stuff about the – the O-line again, and I was just like, well, we're back where we started probably at the very beginning of this podcast. <laughs> Creation yeah, I, is, our O-line is terrible. <laughs> I, I don't remember the context, but a couple weeks ago I texted you, like, well, I said something like, who's your favorite offensive lineman? But no, that wasn't the question. Something about offensive linemen. You're like, I don't think we have any. And I, like, I thought about it. I don't think we do. And I was like, oh, yeah, we don't. It was like last year when we were trying, <laughs> you were trying to think of a player on defense, and you're like, Josh Metellus. <laughs> now we don't even have him. Obviously not offensive line, but... Yeah. No. Well, It'll be interesting to see. I mean, obviously we have people coming in, but, like, it all just seems very bizarre at this moment to be thinking about football, mostly because we're probably not going to be able to watch it, which is really... Like, in person, which is really sad. Yeah, we'll um, see. We don't know yet, but, yeah, it is. it does feel kind of like uncomfortable to talk about football stuff when it's just like it almost feels like we're just living in this fantasy world like pretending it's gonna happen but it's just like this made-up sport that will never actually take place you know maybe that does that is what it feels like yeah it feels like we're talking about like characters on a tv show or something like we'll never actually know what they're like what if football is just a tv show hmm what if it's always (laughs) been a tv show whoa i mean like it is on Welcome TV. to views where things become philosophical. <laughs> what if it's all just with... a TV show? <laughs> Existential questions. Uh, we we have officially lost it. Like I didn't think that I had lost it until I started trying to record this podcast, and I'm like, oh man, I'm unhinged right now. <laughs> and it's just been having parties. Yeah. Do we have I mean, anything else more. we need to discuss on this podcast? I- I don't really think so. Should we just, like, listen to an interview? Yeah, maybe. And then, like, come back together and discuss, like, the greatest draft outfits we find and, like, if Michigan players went, like, what if and what of. Ooh. So we'll discuss that next week? Yeah. Okay. Talk to you then, Harley, dear. Okay. Bye, Hanny. Bye. (laughs) Go blue. Go blue. All right, so we are here with M. Earl Smith, who is my co-author on the book *The Fab Five: The Scrapbook of a Revolution*. Oh, *The Fab Five: The Scrapbook of a Revolution*. We're just here to chat a little bit about the Fab Five and their legacy and why he and I both chose to write about them. So, thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, do you want to give us a little bit of an introduction on why you were initially interested in the Fab Five? Sure, it's a pleasure to be here. I've been kind of sitting here hoping that you know I'd get to do this before. 
the world did what it did to us, so I'm really happy to be here. Um, and, and, you know, it's a funny story, and I'll start with this. Um, have you ever heard of a band called This Will Destroy You? I have I'm not. Sure you, <laughs> I'm sure you have it. Nobody has. They do mostly soundtrack music. Um, and so they did some soundtrack music around the time that I did my first basketball book, which was on the Big Five, which is a Philadelphia basketball thing. Um, they did a soundtrack movie for the original Purge movie, which I didn't watch, but I saw the trailer. And they had this really kind of big emotional song that leads into the trailer. And so I was playing around on Google one day and in YouTube and was looking for other uses of that song. It's the exact same song that ESPN used at the end of the Fab Five documentary. Oh my gosh, that is that is such a, a crazy way to start watching that documentary. So then you watched that 30 for 30 and you were hooked? Yeah, I, 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 well, I watched the last seven minutes of the 30 for 30 and I'm just like why in the world do I not know more about this because you know I've got a little bit of history as far as you know sports journalism goes you know I did some podcasting way back in the day when podcasting was in its infancy um but it was mostly Cincinnati based because I lived in Cincinnati at the time um and so yeah I was just like well I need to watch the other 55 minutes of this (laughs) so um I paid for it on Amazon Prime it was the very first thing I ever bothered to pay for prime because it was just like well i got all this free stuff why do i need to pay for this so i sit down i think that's the only thing i've ever the only movie i've ever bought on amazon prime also (laughs) (laughs) well it's funny i bought that and there's a couple things i bought because i you know i teach college i'm a professor i guess you could say um and so there was a couple movies that i bought to teach a children's literature class but yeah that was really the first thing that i was ever going to give jeff bezos more money for than what i'd you know given him initially with prime membership (laughs) Right. So, um, we're, I'm sitting there and I watched the documentary and about 15 minutes in, I'm just like, okay, I know what the next book is that I'm going to write. Uh, and it was the Fab Five. And it was just like, I had to pour over Mitch's book and I had to go back and look at, you know, the archives that Bentley had. And the deeper I got into it, I was like, there's so much here. And I start looking at dates and I'm just like, oh, well, it's almost, you know, the 30th anniversary of these guys. <laughs> so, right. And not a lot had been done about them besides, I mean, uh, Mitch Album wrote that book and then Jalen Rose has done that documentary and he's written his own book, but there hasn't been a lot of new stuff out about them. And at the time, you had no idea that Juwan Howard was going to be head coach at Michigan. Oh, no, there was no way I could have known that. We spent, gosh, Hannah, um, six months, was it almost? I was teaching at Rowan University at the time. We spent, I think, six months trying to figure out who exactly was going to publish it. Um, right. Arcadia was kind of dialing down what they were doing on sports books, and so then we contacted Font Hill, and they did it, and then Arcadia turned around and bought Font Hill. So, <laughs> oh, okay. See, I I was confused the whole time. Now I understand what happened. So I was like, did we go back and then forth and then back again? Okay, got it. That makes sense. It was the funniest thing, and to be honest, it was kind of my fault in a sense. I do two or three local and sports history books a year, and Arcadia is just like, well, you're working on these other projects. We don't want you to do this one. And I'm okay. like, but this is a really good one. And they're like, well, we don't want you to do it. I was like, okay, I'll just go do it somewhere else. Right. <laughs> uh, little and did then- I know at the time they had access to everything that Font Hill was doing, and they knew that I was working with Font Hill on it. So it all worked oh, out in the end. That's so funny. That's so funny. But, yeah, so right when we were – I mean, we were, we were pretty far along in the process when uh, – John Beeline announced that he was going to the NBA, and then all of a sudden there was talks about Jawan Howard being the next head coach, and I was kind of like, I, I honestly, as a Michigan fan, I was like, that would be the coolest thing ever. 
while writing this book, I was kind of like, oh no, <laughs> like, I was like, it, it would be really cool, but like, are we going to have to like change so much about the book? And like, what is that going to mean? And all of that. But we ended up ramping up how fast we were writing it and getting it published in time for March Madness this year, which didn't end up happening but but we ended up didn't we we got it published a full year earlier than it was initially going to be published because of um juan howard right right we were aiming for the 30th anniversary is what we were thinking and i was like 18 which is months next is a, year. right which is next year and i'm thinking 18 months is a long time to be working on a book and then all of a sudden i'm sitting there and they're just like i, I see and i knew juan was coaching at miami you know for the heat mm-hmm. and uh it was like Juwan Howard under consideration for the – he was actually under consideration for the Lakers job at one point. And, yeah, uh, I think – yeah, an assistant coaching job. Or was he was he under consideration for the head coaching job at the Lakers? Well, they interviewed him, and then they hired Frank Vogel, and then Juwan interviewed again for to be one of Vogel's assistants. And then okay. he got offered you know, to interview for the Michigan job, and I was like, no. No, <laughs> this is going to happen. And it happened. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I was just like, oh, my gosh. we ha-. And so I called Alan Dutton, who is the acquisitions guy for Font Hill. Great guy. He still works. You know, Font Hill is kind of independent but part of Arcadia at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I called Alan, and I was like, Alan, we've got to get this out in the next 90 days. <laughs> I said, you know, <laughs> Juwan Howard just took the job at Michigan. And he was like, okay, Martin, we're not going to get it out in 90 days. But he's – and, you know, Alan's this guy from England, so he's got the English accent and everything going on. <laughs> and, he, and so I'm sitting here, and, you know, basketball is not as important in England as it is in the United States, obviously. Right, right. Um, but Alan's just like, well, don't you guys have something called March Mania or something like that? I was like, no, it's March Madness. He goes, oh, well, whatever. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh, no, not whatever. <laughs> so he's like, well, let's get it out for March Mania. And I was like, March Madness. And he's like, okay. <laughs> so um, – and then I called you. I was in Tennessee at the time. God, I, there was so much going on at that time. Um, I was interviewing for my new job. I was trying to get this book out. And I was like, and I call you. And I think it was the first time we'd ever spoken on the phone. Yeah, I think and, that's right. And I was like, Hannah, we have to get this out. We have to do this. Uh, and you're like, oh, well, okay. And we got it done. <laughs> yeah, we did. It was it was a, a a quick turnaround from that point. I mean, we'd had a little while to work on it at that point, but just mentally sh- shifting the deadlines and everything was a pretty big switch. But it was such an interesting book to research and write about, which is why I kind of want to back up a little bit and talk about like who the Fab Five are. I know that my generation, a lot of times, we weren't a lot alive for that, and we've heard a lot more about it since Joan Howard was hired, but it's kind of a... a I mean, it's history, I guess. And you said you hadn't heard much about them just being on, you know, another, you're you're out east. And there's a lot that people don't know about the Fab Five. So do you want to give a little, like, bio blurb on who the Fab Five are? Well, it, they have to be, you know, and some people try to say Calipari had a better recruiting class when he brought in seven. And I'm just like, no, you're crazy. It's not Calipari. <laughs> the Fab Five, they are the most dynamic recruiting class in the history of college basketball bar none um you 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 have a group that comes in and not only do they come in and they're some of the best basketball players from the high school level in in the world but they're some of the cockiest some of the brashest they you know they took the whole michael jordan era of trash talk and you know ready to be the best and combine that with some muhammad ali 
And they went for it. And they, you know, and, and Mitch Appleman has said a hundred times that they took college basketball by storm, so I won't steal Mitch's cliche. Um, but they were unlike anything that has come before or since. Um, they, you know, kind of took the usual dynamic of how basketball was played and how basketball players presented themselves, um, even down to their uniforms. And they changed the landscape of college basketball. Um, and I think college basketball is better for it. I think they kind of helped set up what basketball was going to be like at the end of the Jordan years because Jordan was a very distinct person. Now, he was larger than life. I mean, you know, he even loomed over, you know, the early years of Shaq and the twilight of guys like Hakeem Olajuwon and, and, and players like that. And they were kind of there to fill the void. I mean, everything that is applicable – to college basketball today you know hip-hop and rap culture that goes into college basketball uh trash talking all of that can find its roots with the fab five yeah and i think that's a really interesting thing to point out because it can be difficult to explain exactly what was so controversial about the fab five at the time and i think that's because everything that they did that was controversial or revolutionary however you want to put it at that time is now commonplace and that's because they normalized it so the baggy uniforms that they wore. I mean, we saw in the Jordan documentary last night, like that was not common before. Um, and now it's, they're getting a little bit shorter again, thanks to Michigan once again. Um, but <laughs> the, um, the black socks, that was Ray Jackson's idea. Um, just so many, so many facets. I mean, trash talking in general, um, so many facets. Oh, and being a one and done, none of them were one and dones, but Chris Webber was a two and done. And that was unheard of at the time that's pretty common now it might become less common with the new g-league rules but things like that um it's it's difficult to explain exactly the effect they had on college basketball because if you explain it to someone my age they're doing exactly what's considered normal in college basketball but they were just the first ones to do it oh absolutely and the way i look at it too you know they're revolutionary for a hundred different reasons but one of the big things and not a lot of people talk about this or want to talk about this we're on the path of the NCAA is going to have to break down and, and rightfully, I say, start compensating players for, you know, what they're doing, you know, for these universities. Um, and Chris Weber was kind of the impetus for that. Hmm. You know, um, I, I won't get into whether Chris was right or wrong or what was going on. But when you're taking people and you're pulling them out of environments where they're shrouded in poverty – and they go into these environments where they're making thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars for these institutions. And they're trying to figure out how to feed themselves. And, you know, being a college athlete requires a lot of food. You're using your body. You've got to have fuel, um, much less anything else that goes into it. Um, you know, you have to question the fairness of it. And I think above all else, that is one of the big issues that comes out of the Fab Five is – how is it fair to not compensate somebody for their labor? And granted, the argument would be, well, they're getting a free college education. But look at the graduation rates. I mean, it, across all schools, this is not Michigan or, you know, any other institution in particular. Mm -hmm. um, although Big Ten schools do tend to have a little bit higher graduation rates um, than the SEC, especially. Um, yeah. But uh, I can say that I'm from Tennessee, so. <laughs> <laughs> um but that's what we're looking at. You know, they, they did change that landscape. It's something that we have to consider and we have to start asking ourselves the hard questions. 
ethically, is it right to take somebody and exploit their labor and not compensate them fairly? And I don't think it has been. And I think that's going to be long after trash talking is what it is, which I love. Uh, long after uniforms change a thousand times because they always do. Uh, we're going to be looking at some real-world implications that were brought on by these five, and, and that's one of the biggest ones for me. Right, definitely. I mean, that's a huge conversation right now because we have players like Jalen Green and probably Isaiah Todd um, going straight to the G League, so that might change that conversation once again, especially if the NBA were to end the one-and-done rule, which it doesn't look like they're going to do because they are creating this new G League team specifically for um, players straight out of high school, which is interesting. I think we'll see how that plays out. But right now, the it's players don't really have much of a choice besides going playing in the NCAA or going overseas. So yeah, that is a really interesting conversation. And um, for people who aren't aware that the storyline and what the Fab Five has to do with that, um, shortly after their time at Michigan, I think maybe were the trials in like 2000, 2001, something like that. 2001, 2002, somewhere around that area. Yep. Okay, so sometime around then, um, Chris Webber and Jalen Rose were both tried for taking money from a Michigan booster during their time at Michigan, which is obviously um, illegal under the current amateur model of the NCAA. So they, Chris Webber was found guilty and also for lying and just, it was a whole mess. And um, the Fab Five was like disassociated from Michigan for a while. That's why the banners are taken down. So yeah, that's definitely a huge conversation when it comes down to like the conversation around paying college athletes. And there are also just a ton of anecdotes in Mitch Album's book in particular where, or maybe this was in the documentary. I'm not completely sure, but uh, Chris Webber's walking down the street. He goes to M Den and he sees his jersey for sale, and it's like mm-hmm. sold out, or everyone's buying it. And then he goes to the sandwich shop across the street, and he doesn't have enough money to buy a sandwich. So those conversations are just super, super interesting, especially because the Fab Five were some of the first college basketball players to really be cultural icons and be pop culture figures and um, kind of building a brand around themselves. Uh, you see that a lot now with players like Zion Williamson, but that wasn't as much of a thing in college basketball before that. That was mostly just in the NBA. Right. And, and, and yeah, I remember one of the stories that uh, Mitch told in the documentary, I think it was a documentary, was that Chris was always asking for money to get pizza or something, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, and this was even back in the early 90s when it, Basketball was just starting to become the pop culture sensation that it was, um, that it is now. Um, and I'm sitting here thinking these guys are playing in front of sold out arenas. They're at one, of, you know, the university's endowment is what two or three billion dollars. You know, it's it's insane, insane how much money universities in general have, and they're having to beg for food. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking. That's what the story is, you know, and that was one thing that I think you and I talked about it when we first started writing this book. We mentioned some of this stuff, but the focus for me was never, you know, okay, Chris and Jalen don't get along all the time, or uh, Chris had to plead guilty to this, or, you know, that or whatever. It was trying to focus on the basketball, but then as I got deeper into writing this, I was like, well, they're kind of interchangeable. You have to talk about both of them. You're doing right. a disservice to the story if you don't talk about both of them. Definitely. They were, as people, they were subversive in every way in starting all these conversations that maybe other people were afraid to have or didn't think to have, but because they were so young and confident and just the types of people to say what they thought, all of that stuff um, is intertwined. Absolutely. 
do you have a personal favorite story about the Fab Five? Um, the crack house story with uh, Jalen is always one of my favorite stories. Um, Go ahead and tell that story for people who aren't familiar. Uh, so I believe two days before they were supposed to play Illinois at Illinois uh, in J- uh, Jalen's sophomore year. It was the second season. Um, Jalen was hanging out with some friends, and they came in. Uh, they did a police raid, and Jalen was sitting on the couch playing video games, and apparently somebody had sold a tiny bit of crack out of the back of the room. So they charge everybody because of some arcane, you know, war on drugs law with being at a crack house and, you know, being part of distribution. And then Jalen's charges get dropped later on when it's obvious he was just there playing video games. Um, and it's funny because Jalen always had a reputation of being a really clean-cut dude, you know. I mean, not so much that, you know, he was never in trouble. He was always, you know, doing the things that he was supposed to do. He was a tough guy and came from a very rough part of America. But um, he was never in trouble, you know. There, there was never anything attached to Jalen before that. Um and so they go to play Illinois, and the, the, the kids in Illinois were just, you know, it was racism is what it was in a lot of ways, and they're chanting crack house, and that was one of the nicest things that they were chanting at Jalen during this game. And I think he blew up for something like 38 points. It was his career high mm-hmm. while he was at Michigan, and I think that Illinois was ranked higher than Michigan going into the game, and I think Michigan beat him by 20 points or something like that. Um, it was just, an, and, and I could be wrong on that aspect of it, but I know Jalen blew up um, and, and had his career game, you know, and, and all the while he's sitting there laughing because, you know, he knows he's not been in a crack house or had anything to do with that. Um, but it was really, it showed the character of Jalen as an individual and of these guys as a group. You know, you could sit there and chant whatever you wanted to do, at, at you, whatever you wanted at them, they were usually going to beat your heroes and make you watch. <laughs> so. right. right. And also, you, that's just so stupid. Like, you just don't know Jalen Rose or any of the Fab Five guys well if you think that, like, that's going to get into their heads. Like, if anything, that's just going to motivate them. They just, they love trash talk. Like, you were, you're playing them in their own game at that point. That's, like, I, I just think it's so funny. That's so, like, yeah, Jalen Rose just, like, eats that stuff up. Like, I'm sure he... There's, it's no coincidence that he had a career game that day. And, and it's hilarious because if, if you look at Jalen's body of work as a whole, I was watching an outtake on Get Up this morning that had Jalen in it. Um, and the Michael Jordan documentary came out yesterday. And everybody is going on, and, and the Michael versus LeBron debate started back up. Um, of <laughs> and And Jalen's talking about it, and he's just like, well, you know, LeBron's not even on the Mount Rushmore of basketball. And I'm sitting there and I'm just like, Jalen, I hate what you're saying, but the way that you're saying it has has me halfway convinced. You know? <laughs> and that's Jalen Rose. He can say anything and get away with it. I, I love Jalen Rose. I don't know if you've read his book. It's really fun. You can read it in a couple hours. It's not it's not dense or anything, but he gives his like manual on how to trash talk and all of that. It's it's just so Jalen. It's so funny. Well, and, and the funny thing about Jalen is, is even when it backfires on him like it did with Kobe Bryant in the 81-point game, um, he, he twists it. I don't want to say twist it, but he manages to make it something that's enjoyable, even though it was probably one of the mi- most miserable moments of his life. Um, he was doing the pilot for the TV show that he did for ESPN, and, and there's that scene where he walks in and Kobe's sitting at the table, and he had said something bad about Kobe in an interview prior. Mm-hmm. Uh, or or said Kobe wasn't one of the top 10 greatest of all time or something like that. And Kobe's sitting there at the table and the waiter walks up and, uh, uh, 
the waiter goes, do you guys want anything? And Jayla's like, I don't want anything. And Kobe's like, I'll take a martini with olives. And the waiter goes, how many? And uh, Kobe looks at the waiter and goes, 81. <laughs> <laughs> and it passed it. It passed to Jalen, and he's got this look on his face like he has just died inside. <laughs> and Kobe sits there and holds it and holds it, and, then, you know, it's like 30 seconds, and you're like, God, this is uncomfortable for me, and I wasn't even at the game. And finally, Kobe looks at the waiter and goes, no, I'm just kidding, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. And so, I, I haven't heard that story before. That's that's really funny. I'll have to send you the clip. It's absolutely hilarious. Um, but... uh it just goes to show that, you know, for, you know, when it's time to be serious, Jalen can be serious, but he knows how to market. He knows how to uh, – and that's one thing that I'll say too. I don't think these guys get enough credit for – you know, they're brilliant um, above and beyond everything else that they did. I mean, you know, even after they left Michigan and left professional basketball, I mean, Jalen's on ESPN and Chris is on TNT and Juwan's the head coach at Michigan. Yeah. Um, these guys didn't just come to school to play basketball, which is a trope that's often put on, you know, college players is that, you know, they're just here to play basketball. Um, and there's often racist overtones that go into that. You know, the Fab Five has made themselves into something tangible above and beyond, you know, just the time that they spend at the university. Definitely. It, like, their personalities. I mean, Jalen Rose in particular. I just love Jalen Rose, but his personality is just – he's just <laughs> – He's just Jalen Rose. Like, there's no other way to put it. Um, and Jawan Howard, too, obviously. We love him, have always loved him, but even more so since he became the head coach at Michigan. It's just been great to see him and his poise in the press conferences and everything. They're just the kinds of guys that you want to have representing your school. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and you look at some of the problems that major college sports has had, and I'll go all the way back uh, – and it seems like the Big Ten got bit hard, you know, uh, aside from the cheating scandal at Duke, or was it North Carolina? Um, it was one of those two schools, and they ended up not getting in any trouble for it at all. But you look at some of the stuff that went on with Ohio State and Jim Tressel, and then you turn around and some of the stuff that went on with Ohio State with Urban Meyer here recently, who I cannot stand. Um, <laughs> I'm with you. Well, see, <laughs> I lived in Ohio for 12 years, and uh God, if I have to go back again, it'll be too soon. Uh, aside from the fact that my kids live there. Uh, <laughs> um, and then, you know, everything that went on with Paterno at Penn State, and I still think Penn State got off light on this. Um, and yet you look at that, and then you look at some of the grief that the Fab Five went through while they were at Michigan, and the power imbalance there is just ridiculous. But the way that these guys handled it um, is just remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable. That's that's honestly a really good point with the legitimate scandals that other schools, I mean, not to say that Michigan is like better or different because who knows what goes on behind closed doors, but like the the things that have come out about other schools that have maybe gotten swept under the rug and then just the controversy that the Fab Five faced for not really doing anything controversial <laughs> is really, really interesting to, to note that contrast. Well, and it goes back into structures of power. Um, you look at Urban Meyer, you look at Jim Tressel, you look at Joe Paterno. Those are the guys that are in charge. They're these straight, white, usually Protestant males that are in charge of big-time college athletics. And then you have five guys that come in from poorer parts of America, obviously black kids. They come in, and they decide to write their own narratives, and that's all of a sudden when the Bowers of B have a problem with it. And, and I think that speaks a lot to that kind of culture. Um right. 
and it still goes on to this day. Um, I'll give you a, a perfect example. Um, being from the South myself, I watch a lot of NASCAR, or I did, and, and I kind of follow it occasionally. Um, and so with everything that's been going on with the coronavirus pandemic, um, they have been racing online through a, a, a platform called iRacing. So all the drivers get in there, and they've got, you know, it's digital, but, you know, they've got these huge $40,000 rigs in their living room that simulated actually being in a car. Oh, that's um, it's, it's fascinating to watch because it's almost like watching a race. The graphics are that good. But a couple of weeks ago, there's one African-American driver, one black driver in NASCAR. His name's Bubba Wallace. And he wrecked in the race, and instead of fixing his car, he just quit. Um, and then his sponsor fired him because he quit in a simulated race on a digital platform. And I'm sitting here thinking, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. A week later, another NASCAR driver, he's of Japanese-American uh, descent, his name's Kyle Larson, was on a live stream on the same platform and dropped the N-word mm -hmm. oh with, a, with a hard R now. Not that it's okay in any circumstance for any person that's white to say that, but this was with a hard R. I mean, this was, like, you know, horrible, and, you know, there was people defending him. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, so if a guy quits a video game you know, that's a problem, but if a guy comes in and drops the hard R, well, he deserves a second chance. I can kind of see really where this is going, you know. I can see what the dynamic actually is here. Bubba Wallace is a black driver, and Kyle Larson is not, and that's the problem. Yeah, that's um, disturbing. And, and the racism that these guys had to go, and this was back in the early 90s, they were getting letters from alums that were yeah. just vicious. Yeah, and, and those are also, those are the alums who hide behind a letter. Like, it's just, it, it is very, it's very disturbing, and you hope that it's a vocal minority, and rather than, I mean, any any amount is horrible, but you hope that it's a vocal minority and that that's not the majority of the feedback they were getting, but yeah, it just does show that the stuff that's in, institutionalized into our society is very, very messed up. Absolutely, and it saddens me, because the legacy of these five should be that they were some of the most entertaining college basketball players to ever step on the court even the bad things that happened even the timeout um even you know some of the other stuff that went down um it was entertaining they were great basketball players they were entire on an entirely different level of, as entertainers and you know to steve fisher's credit he let them be themselves and that's why they were as successful as they were mm -hmm. um and I think a lot of it gets taken – a lot of their legacy gets taken away because of some of this silly nonsense. Yeah. I will say, though, as um, a Michigan fan, a Michigan homer, someone who's grown up in the Ann Arbor area, it that is the legacy that I have heard of them my entire life. And it wasn't until I started doing a deep dive into them for this book and just because I've been obsessed with them for a couple of years now that I learned about the racism that they faced and that might be you know a privilege that I have like masking me but at least from what people have told me luckily what I've heard my entire life is they were some of the most entertaining basketball players and we're so lucky that they went to Michigan so hopefully that legacy is carrying on in most people's minds well and look you've got three of the five have a legitimate shot one way or another to end up in the or in the Nainsmith Hall of Fame. I think Chris Weber as a player, his accolades speak for themselves. Guy averaged a double-double professionally for his entire career. He's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I think Jalen, if you combine his playing career where he was successful, six men of the year, a couple all-star appearances, 
if you combine that with his work as an analyst on ESPN, he's done a ton for the game of basketball. He belongs in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And then Juwan Howard played for 20 years, won two rings, uh, signed the at the time the richest contract in NBA history. Um, and now he's the head coach at one of the most illustrious that's, – that's a double – grammar thing by the way so just that. <laughs> <laughs> sorry english professor stepped back in he has he has an illustrious career you know and he, he he's coaching at michigan he's coaching at michigan yeah um you know you know the the the, the prodigal son comes back home and he, you know juan's not the prodigal son at all, at all but you know i think that went a long way towards rehabilitating whatever negative image that the fab five have but he belongs in the Hall of Fame on those accolades. Um, oh, definitely. It's incredible. And, and, and you know, um, Jimmy King said it himself. I, his role in the Fab Five probably cost him better success in the NBA. Um, and, and, and Ray Jackson, I, I cannot say enough about Ray Jackson. Um, and, and I think it's unfortunate that he's kind of seen as the fifth wheel of this whole deal. Um, but he was a remarkable high school basketball player. He had success overseas playing basketball. Um, and now the guy works as a mentor for people that want to jump from the high school level to the college in basketball down in Texas. I mean, it's an incredible human being. Um, I remember about a week after, and I found this out later, I didn't know about it till well after we were into this writing process, but a week after they, uh, we signed the contract, they did an appearance. Him, uh, it was Jalen, Jimmy King, and Ray Jackson did an appearance at a casino in Connecticut. And I was in Connecticut at the time. And I didn't go. I didn't know they were there. <laughs> and I regretted that because it was just like, how awesome would it have been to see those kind of icons in person? Um, yeah, that would have been really cool. They had a, um, they did a conference my freshman year at Michigan, and I wasn't able to go to that either, but I, I wish I would have. <laughs> well, and it's just like, well, I have a book now with my name on the cover. Well, our name's on the cover. Let's be fair about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I want them to sign it. I want to get that signed and frame it in my house and hang it up next to all the Star Trek stuff that I have hanging around and everything else. Because, you know, their legacy, they can take all the banners away that they want. They can say whatever they want to say about the trash talking, the uniforms, taking money, whatever. It doesn't matter. Their legacy is untouchable, mm-hmm. in my view. And it always I will agree. be. I agree. Um, on that note, I think... We've been talking for a little while now. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I always love talking about the Fab Five. It's been great talking to you. Um, anything you want to plug in the podcast? I mean, obviously, everyone should buy the book. It's available wherever you buy books. Sometimes it's sold out. Sometimes it's not. You just got to keep checking back. Um, <laughs> well, and, and other that's books what... or other things you want to plug on here? Well, that's one thing I want to say about the book, too. It went through its printing twice in the first two weeks. So, I mean, the love for the Fab Five is absolutely still there. Um, I've written some other things. I did one on the Philadelphia Big Five, which is an interesting read from the same publishing company, uh, kind of, you know, in that roundabout <laughs> sense. I do a lot of local history stuff. Um, I'm going to start working on one about the Crosstown Shootout, which is the University of Cincinnati and Xavier University in Cincinnati. Um, oh, cool. Which will probably be out probably in the next 18 months or so. But, um, yeah, I mean uh, – Go get the book. I mean, the book's great. Enjoy it. Uh, Hannah, I cannot say enough. You did an incredible job working on this book. It was such a seamless process. You did, you're a wonderful writer and a wonderful ambassador for the history of the University of Michigan. Well, thank you. And yeah, same to you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was great talking to you. You too. I can't wait to hear it. <laughs>
Yeah.